Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. There's been another night of rioting across the United States as anger over police racism and brutality shows. From Boston to San Francisco, protesters have ignored curfews in at least 40 cities. And with much of the world continuing to grapple with the coronavirus, the original epicenter, China, is appearing to take advantage of the global distraction. As David Culver now. War, terrorism, division, pandemics. Genocide, famine. Ever since the fall of humanity, the world has continued to spin into chaos and destruction. And as the time of Yeshua's return draws near, we are continuing to see an increase in both natural disasters and tensions between and within nations. In Matthew chapter 24, Yeshua tells his disciples what signs people should look for as they await the end of time. Verse 12 gives us a key warning. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. As we witness injustice and violence prevail in our world, it becomes harder to cling to the faith we have and show God's love to those around us. All the chaos and disorder of this world have caused many to ask, if Jesus is the Messiah, then why is there no peace? This is an important question, especially in our work as a ministry. On today's episode, we have invited Children People Ministries staff member, Brian Crawford, to talk about why the world is still filled with chaos, even after the Messiah's first appearing, and what our role as believers should be in the midst of this chaos until his return. Brian, welcome to Our Hope. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you today, Abe. So can you tell us a little bit about your role with Chosen People Ministries and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I've been with Chosen People Ministries for about 10 years. Uh, I am a Gentile believer in Jesus. I grew up in a, in a believing home. But when I was in college, I went to Israel with my church and my heart just fell in love with the Jewish people, and also I was just struck by their need to find their Messiah. And after my time in college, I wanted to know how I could be an effective evangelist to the Jewish people. And that's what eventually took me to Chosen People Ministries. And since I have been serving in Chosen People, I've moved to Brooklyn, New York, 
uh, where I've lived for about nine years with my family. And I completed seminary. And in the middle of seminary, I really realized how much needs to be said and needs to be done when it comes to defending the faith towards a Jewish audience. And so my, my role in ministry is a messianic apologetics. Uh, it's the defense of our faith in Jesus, in Yeshua, uh, towards a Jewish audience with the particular kinds of objections uh, that they have about believing in Jesus. That's great. And and that's exactly why we brought you on, because we feel you are such an expert in this area. Um, but before we jump in, I always have to kind of ask this because I'm such a foodie and everyone knows that. Um, so now that you and your family are in New York City, what is your favorite New York dish? Oh, man. You know, it's kind of funny. I have to think back to life before kids because uh, life after kids, you can't really be that foodie as much, especially when we live down in Brooklyn and it's like an hour and a half to get to our favorite spots in Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, but back in the day, my wife and I loved going to this Chilean steakhouse on the Upper West Side, Ooh. right next to Central Park. And man, it was awesome. But there's so many great restaurants in, yeah. in New York. I mean, yeah. there's there's tens of thousands of them, so it's hard to pin it down. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's definitely a trick question because <laughs> every block you have your own favorite cuisine or restaurant. <laughs> yep. So that's awesome. So let's jump into today's topic. Um, we're, we're calling this episode Chaos Until Messiah Returns. 2020 has been quite the year. Uh, COVID-19 in particular has been a real issue over the past few months, and now we seem to be getting to the other side of it. Um, but we, you know, I know that you and your family were particularly affected by it, and you were relocated temporarily. Is that right? Yeah, we we decided to leave New York uh, as soon as we could, really, after the lockdown uh, to get ahead of the pandemic. And we've been staying with my family out in Southern California, and we're very thankful to have the opportunity to be here with my parents. Uh, but yeah, our heart is just broken for what's going on in New York and in the world and uh, for all the all the friends and ministry partners that we do have in New York right now. Yeah, you know, and then we're only in the middle of the year and we thought this pandemic would be the worst of it, but things just seem to be getting worse. And, you know, the, the producers of Our Hope and myself, we were reflecting on everything that was happening. And you know, of course, we want to see peace in the world today, but we were talking and we realized there's not going to necessarily be peace until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, returns. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's so true. It's it's one of the most important things that we need to realize as believers that this world is not our home, uh, that this world it will be full of tribulation. Uh, Jesus told us that uh, to that we should be looking uh, forward to the need to rely on God in the middle of pain and riots and diseases and wars. Uh, that, that's a really important part of uh, walking with Jesus in everyday life. And we need to rely on him as our savior. He's the one who rescues us. Uh, he's the one who came to fix what is broken. And that includes, you know, governments and systems and uh, even individuals like myself, mm -hmm. and we can rest in him even when the world is collapsing. Yeah. You know, I oftentimes hear people look and point at the world around us and they say that uh, the brokenness of the world is perhaps the most verifiable 
teaching of the whole Bible. I mean, and if you're not, if you're not convinced of the brokenness of humanity, all you need to do is turn on the evening news. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that really convinces me. It convinces a lot of believers. Yeah. For sure. And I'm, I'm also convinced by that. And, you know, that's what the Bible says all over the place. We are broken and that's why we need Jesus. Uh, I agree. But at, at the same time, that's what we as believers uh, tell each other, mm. that our brokenness is a sign of original sin, that um, that's why we need Jesus. Um, the, the, the very fact that the evening news is the way that it is mm-hmm. uh, shows us our need for Jesus. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way that Jewish people tend to process mm-hmm. uh, problems in the world. So you're they saying actually, they, they come to an exact opposite conclusion? Yeah, they actually look to the brokenness of the world and say that that's precisely why we don't need Jesus. Why is that? Well, they, they process the world. They, they're looking at the same problems. They're looking at the same world mm-hmm. as believers, uh, but they, they process it differently. Uh, many Jewish people inherit a worldview that disqualifies Jesus as the Messiah, and their interpretation of the world around them uh, actually confirms that disqualification that they were brought up with with their worldview. Mm, can you explain a little bit about a worldview? What, what does that really mean? Sure. Uh, a worldview is a set of fundamental beliefs and assumptions about how the world works. I mean, we all have... Uh, a way that we interpret reality. Mm. Uh, sometimes we can articulate what our worldview is. You know, we've uh, had a lot of education. We've read a lot of books. Mm. Uh, maybe we even have a very clear uh, doctrinal statement like creeds in the in the Christian uh, world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes we just inherit our worldview from our parents or the larger culture without really knowing how to articulate it or without even questioning it. We just kind of assume that everybody sees it our way. I mean, Mm. doesn't everybody? Yeah, yeah. So it it sounds like you're saying that Jewish people, and you know, I guess we could say um, non-believers in general, kind of interpret reality completely different than the way believers do. Sure. It's, it's, it's so true. I mean, one of the uh, great books on the subject is called The, The Universe Next Door by James Sire. And he talks about how um, our neighbors that live right next to us, they have a worldview mm. that it's almost like they are processing the universe in a completely different way, such that it's like a parallel universe. And so we oftentimes talk about a Judeo-Christian worldview. I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, you'll read that term in the in the media and mm. on uh, on articles and whatnot. And there is a lot of truth in that since we come from the same stock of Mm -hmm. the Hebrew scriptures. But when it comes to our perspective on brokenness in the world, it it really is like we're living in parallel universes. Yeah, you know, and and, and I think that's where a lot of the tensions that we're seeing right now is people are experiencing two different realities and they can't have conversations about those realities. (laughs) It's really difficult to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else to see the world through their eyes, to empathize yeah. through their emotions and the way that they process, it is really intellectually and emotionally painful mm. for many people to put themselves in someone else's shoes. Mm. Mm. So um, 
you mentioned parallel universes. Talk a little bit about a little bit more about that um, sure. perspectives on brokenness and such. Sure. So um, believers in Jesus and many Jewish people process injustice and suffering differently. Right. Uh, we, we just come from two different starting points. Mm -hmm. uh, so coming from the New Testament, believers in Jesus see God as the one who invaded our broken world and he came near to us in the person of Jesus. Right. That God saw how horrible it was here and he did something about it. He, he sent he sent Yeshua, Emmanuel, uh, God with us. And then not only that, I mean, Jesus said that he was going to, it was going to be better for him to go because he was going to leave his spirit with us to live inside us. Hmm. And so God is near us in our pains. He's actually conquered them through the blood of Messiah. I mean, it is finished on the cross. And so we have a really uh, victorious and positive and encouraging a way to process pain in this world because we know that God has already done, uh, he's already dealt a, a fatal blow uh, to those pains and sufferings. Mm. But it's really different in Judaism. And this is where it's really hard for many believers to understand. Mm -hmm. um, Jewish people have been eagerly awaiting God's coming to fix the world through the Messiah. Mm -hmm. But in the Jewish world, he just hasn't come yet. Hmm. And if we could really get our minds and our hearts around the idea that he hasn't come yet, I think that we could really understand Jewish people a lot better. Yeah. I mean, you just look at, look at Jewish history mm -hmm. and what they've been through. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got the pogroms and the Holocaust and the blood libels and all that pain and suffering. And then juxtapose that thought with the idea that God hasn't come yet. But really quick, can you can you just explain the blood libels just in case anyone listening doesn't exactly know what that sure, is? Sure, sure. Yeah, it was in the Middle Ages. Um, there was a, a, a real uh, movement or a uh, maybe a virus, I could say, mm. of many, um, many people in Christian societies claiming that Jewish people would kidnap Christian kids and ritually sacrifice them mm. and use their blood to make matzah on Passover. My God. I mean, it's an absolutely horrible, horrible uh, libel. That's why it's called a libel. It's, it's a lie. But mm. people um, didn't they didn't understand Judaism. They didn't understand Passover. They didn't understand yeah. uh, Jewish tradition. And so whenever there's a really mysterious people group that you don't know much about and you have a negative view of them, mm -hmm. I mean, that's where all of these legends and fables and really negative libels, they, mm -hmm. they just spring up out of nowhere because people have so much cultural distance mm -hmm. uh, from each other. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the Jewish people have been uh, the, the ones who have in history been some of the worst victims of those libels. Wow. Thank you for explaining that. Sure. And so when you look at that history and you think about how Messiah hasn't come yet, uh, God hasn't done anything to stop this. Um, and then you think, well, what, what is God up to? Why, mm. why has he left us at the mercy of the crusaders and 
the Inquisitors and and the latest Hitler. I mean, Hitler was just the latest Hitler, but there have been other Hitlers in right. Jewish history that have tried to exterminate them. Right. And how do you process that as a Jewish person? Hmm. Uh, why hasn't God shown up? And so when you don't actually believe that that God has shown up in the person of Jesus, you can look at the brokenness of the world around you and see it as evidence of God's distance or of God's putting a pause on history rather than something that we just need to get through because God has already dealt a final blow to sin and pain and suffering. It's just a completely different way of of processing suffering. So what I what I hear you saying is in a traditional Jewish worldview, Messiah and suffering do not necessarily coexist side by side. Right. So if there is suffering in a Jewish worldview, then that by definition means that the Messiah hasn't come yet. Mm. That, that's that's why the way that they process suffering actually makes sense. It's that um, they have not yet experienced the messianic age. And the suffering that they are experiencing is the evidence that they have not experienced uh, the Messianic age. Because mm-hmm. uh, in their understanding, when Messiah comes, pain, suffering, brokenness, anti-Semitism, all of that will just be gone. It will just be obliterated. And so the mere presence of evil in our world is, is an argument against Jesus being the Messiah in many Jewish circles. Wow. So we're looking at the same evil, but we're kind of processing it differently. Right. Coming to completely different conclusions. Mm. That's the way that worldviews work. I mean, there's the people with different worldviews are not stupid. Yeah. They are processing things. They're being rational in how they are processing the things that they see. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, that the traditional Jewish position has a lot going for it. I think it's actually much simpler to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, it makes more sense to say that God would obliterate all possibility of evil when he sends the Messiah, rather than saying that God would allow evil and goodness to coexist side by side for some reason. It, it's it's harder to uh, to grasp why God would allow good and evil to coexist in the messianic age. So as believers, how do we respond to all of this? I mean, you know, this is uh, a real issue, but it isn't a new question. Um, You know, how can we encourage Jewish people to look at the brokenness of the world and see that Jesus can actually bring peace to their hearts and to the world? Yeah, that's a great question, Abe. Uh, I'll give you a couple things to consider, but first, I just really want to uh, reiterate again that when we are having conversations, uh, Christians and Jews or Messianic Jews with Jewish family members, it's really important to try to put ourselves in each other's shoes. Right. Um, oftentimes, that requires a lot of listening, mm-hmm. not 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 preaching. Mm. Not not monologues. It requires asking questions, hearing people's perspectives. 
Uh, in fact, my favorite way of building bridges in talking about Jesus is actually asking questions. Mm. Uh, it's it's relational. It gets people talking. And if you ask the right questions, you can get people to think about things that they've never considered before. Right. And l- let's be honest, most people don't want to be preached at, especially <laughs> especially when you think the preacher lives in a different universe. <laughs> right. Let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so how can we explain or talk about Jesus being the Messiah, even though there is hate and injustice and anti-Semitism in the world? And so I'll, I'll give you three points to think about, and we'll, we can talk about and unpack this a little bit more. Uh, the first one is affirmation. The second is new information. And the third is making it personal. Okay. And so f- for the f- first one, uh, for affirmation, yeah, I think it's really big. It's really, uh, really important to affirm the position of the traditional Jewish worldview. Mm-hmm. In that there is a desire for peace and that there is a connection between that peace and Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that is so important. We're, we actually have so much common ground in connecting world peace uh, with the Messiah. And I think that the Bible talks about the kind of peace that we're all looking for. I mean, the restoration and the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, the restoration of Jerusalem, Mm. no more anti-Semitism. I mean, all of those, I could quote chapter and verse for for all of those, and we should agree with our Jewish friends that they are reading those passages and having uh, correct messianic expectations uh, based on those verses. Mm. Mm. Okay, so affirmation. Now, what about new information? Well, so after we've built some rapport and after we've uh, really drawn out how the traditional Jewish expectation for the Messiah is actually a good expectation and it is based on scripture, hmm. then we do need to talk about how there is another uh, narrative in the Hebrew Bible that goes beyond the Messiah only bringing world peace. Hmm, what's that? And this this is where it's it's good to ask a, a, a probing question. It, uh-huh. it goes something like this. Where are you getting your ideas about the messianic age from? Where are you getting your ideas about the messianic age from? Hmm. And in my experience, many Jewish people, they don't really know where they're getting their ideas about Messiah from. Uh, It's kind of one of those unarticulated worldview assumptions that we talked about before. Uh, Maybe they picked it up here and there from going to synagogue when they were young, or maybe from a more observant family member. Uh, they, They don't really know how to describe what the Messiah is supposed to be, Mm -hmm. but they do believe that Messiah is connected with world peace. Right. And so I think our goal in bringing them new information needs to be to take them back to the Hebrew scriptures. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that should always be uh, the goal is what's an example from the Hebrew scriptures that you can give us. Sure. Well, we could talk about, individual verses and passages 
we could also talk about uh, big picture themes. Okay. Um, I like bringing up Moses. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask a Jewish person, what was so important about Moses? You could probably hear a, a, a bunch of different responses, but probably the most uh, common ones would be, well, he gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, or he rescued us from Egypt. And those are both true. Those are both correct. Mm-hmm. But here, here's the thing. Those, those events in Moses's life were separated by a lot of time in the middle. Mm. And, they, and they had to follow a certain sequence. I mean, isn't it true that Moses was chosen by God, even by birth, uh, mm. to be the one who would redeem Israel and rescue her from, from Egypt and give the Torah? Mm. But when he was 20 years old, none of that looked like it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. When he was 30 years old, it didn't look like that's what was going to happen. But over the course of Moses's life, it became clear what God's uh, role and purpose uh, for Moses was. And so he needed first to bring Moses to rescue Israel from Egypt. And then afterwards to give the Torah to Mm -hmm. Israel. And it it followed a sequence and, and it had time in between it. And I think that it, it's similar with Messiah. Mm-hmm. There are multiple things that were prophesied for the Messiah to do, but they also needed to follow a certain sequence. And there might actually be a lot of time in between the events that were prophesied for him to do. What are some of those things? We, we all agree about the world peace, but there are other things that Messiah was uh, prophesied to do. One of the most important is the forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. and uh, bringing about a permanent atonement. Mm. Of course, we see this uh, most clearly described in Isaiah 53, uh, where it, it said that God's chosen servant would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, and that the punishment that brings us shalom would be upon him, and by his wounds mm-hmm. we are healed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the message of the New Testament in the Hebrew prophet's words. We also have Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, which talks about how uh, there's going to be an end of sin Mm -hmm. and that atonement was going to be brought in. And then it's connected with this time period of a certain amount of years. And in the middle of that time period, there's going to be an anointed one, a Messiah who is cut off. And then you've got other passages uh, like uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9, which talks about how God is going to remove the sin of the land of Israel in one day. And if you actually look at traditional Jewish commentators on that passage, uh, like Rashi, I believe, Mm -hmm. he says he doesn't know when that day is. Mm -hmm. When is that day going to be that God removes all the sin? Mm -hmm. And... I think that the, uh, the portrait of Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures uh, answers that it, it's the Messiah who's going to do that. Another thing that the Messiah is connected with in the Hebrew scriptures is how God is going to give new hearts or a circumcision of the heart to Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
in Ezekiel 11, Jeremiah 31, where uh, all these passages talking about God giving a new heart and placing his spirit within them and, and moving Israel uh, to live according to God's law. Mm-hmm. And these are things that don't actually come about through Torah observance. It, it, it's actually a new thing that God said that he would do in the future. And that is one of the earliest things that the followers of Jesus proclaimed was happening. They said that, that God had actually uh, caused them to be born again and that the Holy Spirit had come upon them in fulfillment of these passages. Mm-hmm. And if you actually look at uh, Numbers chapter 11, uh, Moses talks about how he wishes that all Israel would have God's Holy Spirit uh, upon them. But that's basically saying that Israel doesn't have the the Spirit of God, um, but that he wants her to. And then finally, we've got the, the death of the Messiah. I mean, that's in Isaiah 53 and also in Daniel 9, that we, we have this portrait of a Messiah who needs to die for the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things are things that the Tanakh also talks about uh, the Messiah doing. And these are the kinds of things that would need to happen first before the coming of world peace. That's great. That That's really great information. Um, so how do we make it personal now? It's sometimes the case that um, when we have these kinds of conversations, uh, talking about all of these uh, Bible passages and all of this theology and whatnot, it just kind of goes over people's heads. Mm. And it's really important whenever we're talking about these things to, to talk about, well, what does this mean for me? And how does this relate to my everyday life? I think it's one thing to say that Messiah will bring peace to the world, but it's another thing to actually explain how Messiah will bring peace to me. Right. I mean, that that, that totally changes the conversation. How do I get rid of all of this, this junk in my heart so that I can actually live in a world full of peace? I think one of the uh, great analogies on this subject comes from uh, C.S. Lewis. And he wrote about how living with God in heaven for eternity is for people who actually want to be there. Hmm. And what he means by that is that kind of like a fish lives in the ocean and is a fish out of water when it's out on the land, we are kind of like fish out of water when it comes to living in perfection in holiness, without sin, without injustice. We don't know how to live that way. And so how can we have peace at a global scale until we have peace in our nation, peace in our city, peace in our family, and even peace in ourselves? I, I think that global peace is the sum total of all individuals having peace in themselves and among each other. Wow. So then the real question is, well, how do we get there? How can we get from point A, which is injustice and war and and all of this horrible stuff that we see on the nightly news, how do we get from point A to point B, which is world peace? And that's where Yeshua steps in 
to be the rescuer, to be the forgiver, to be the savior who actually gets us from point A uh, to point B. There's no peace on earth today because God is still working one individual at a time to bring his shalom through his Messiah uh, to anybody who would believe in him. Amen. And when we believe in him, he begins preparing us for that life of eternity of world peace. Mm. And so I think that we can affirm the goodness of yearning for that peace and looking forward to it in the future. But we also need to ask the follow-up question of how can we actually get there? And then explain how uh, through Jesus and his sacrifice, through his forgiveness of our sins, through his giving of the Holy Spirit to change us and transform us on the inside, that that is actually the way that we get to that place of world peace when he returns. This world is passing away, and it is hard to watch as we endure the birth pangs leading up to Yeshua's return. Matthew 24, 12 does warn us that because of the increase of lawlessness, people's love will grow cold, but that does not have to be us. The very next verse offers us unshakable hope in light of this, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. As we push through the difficult days ahead, let us continue to pray for endurance to finish the race strong until we reach the end. Yeshua promised he will come back, and that should give us hope in the chaos. Today's episode was made possible thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Swee, Elizabetta Karp, Kyron Bautista, and Brian Crawford. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.